Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. Here we are again for another edition of Open Trailer Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Austin, and today it's stage number two of Greg Peters. We'll pick up Greg's driving career in the late 90s, how his career literally comes to a halt thanks to a tree, and also the next generation of the Peters family picks up the steering wheel. And one of my favorite parts of this entire journey is when we pull back the curtain and raw emotion is exposed. You can come into this interview with a preconceived notion of how it's going to go and what you're going to say, but sometimes life happens. And even if you've never met either John or Greg Peters, I think if you're a parent or even a young adult, you're, you're going to relate to this. There's something that happens often in early adulthood where the appreciation and respect level hits an entirely different stratosphere. And it's a family moment. It's a human moment. This podcast is fairly unscripted, but this um, uh, this will hit you right in the feels. Now, the Open Trailer Podcast directly benefits Maine Vintage Race Car Association. We preserve the history of racing in Maine. Please become a member for less than $2 a month, mainevintagerace.org. Racing is a family sport. We have family memberships and lifetime memberships as well. Mainevintagerace.org is our website. That's mainevintagerace.org. Pull those belts tight. Here we go. Greg Peters, stage number two on the Open Trailer Podcast. Enjoy. Let's stick in the 90s. Uh, you know, I mean, the track here in this picture, it's paved. You have coastline on the car. You yep. have the checkered flag under it. What year is 98. This? 98. So 97, 98. Damn won a championship and got involved with let me uh, head games with somebody else, and I basically cost myself a championship. But it was fun. Raced with Bubba Pelton and all these guys, and um, even Orton, Jeff Morgan, uh, yeah. Steve Barry. That's a great era. And I think we were the first ones, me and Steve Barry, to get down to 15-second range on practice day. And I remember they made a big deal out of that. Well, yeah. For the first three or four weeks, uh, we were on Goodyear tires. Super sportsman sub sixteen second laps. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, I know in April generally um, that's when the track is the fastest. Exactly. But um, wow. So what was it like? Tires. Really. Goodyear tires. They put us on a pretty soft left side. That's the first year we ran with Goodyear tires. Hmm. So and I didn't know anything about cycling in tires at the time. So we went out there and just put the hammer right to him, me and Steve. Yeah. I mean, he always said he trusted me out there, and we went pretty hard. And I remember back that particular weekend, the pit was mudded out, so we were parked out in the parking lot outside. Yeah, you knew not to go past that line this Exactly. Time. Yeah. But I didn't want to go back in there, so I parked it on pit road. And I remember, I think Jeff Morgan's brother, Danny, came over, and we had a radio in the car, and I thought my nephew said 16-8. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. With like, Kevin or Gary? Uh, Kevin. Yeah. So you guys were down to 15th. I'm like, you're kidding me. It felt it. Mm. 
So I remember in the heat race listening to the voice of Beatrice Speedway mm. say, Greg Peters and the 09, that last lap was a 15.87. And then obviously by midsummer, we were back in the 16.0, 16.1s, but that was still pretty quick for a, for a car with eight inch tires on it, you know? You start to wind down your career in uh, in the 2000s. Yeah. Uh, what were you running at this point? Uh, I ran a limited sportsman that I was Steve Berry's old car that Alan Berry had built way back when for Danny Dickinson. And Steve won a ton of races with this thing. And Gary Monugno had bought it and backed in the wall and messed it up. And Is it this one? That's, the, that's, the yellow car? That's the yellow car. Okay. And uh, Phil Chapman actually painted that car and did an awesome job on that yeah, thing. Yeah, he did. Uh, Alan Berry hung the body on it. It was awesome. Were you ever the 89? Yeah, they made me change the number at Beach Ridge. So how did the wait? So you're known for the zero nine yeah. for so many years. Your right. your 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 personality is synonymous with that number. Why did you have to change things around? Because somebody had the O nine at Beach Ridge. Although I didn't run there every week. Oh, I mean, we ran Oxford with that car too, two fifty weekend. We decided at the time I didn't want to run all the time, so we ran the Hunter Lapper at Beach Ridge, finished fourth with that. Uh, went to Canaan, went to Lee. Uh, so I wanted to branch out. Boy. And then dabbled in a ACT type late model, and I sucked Which, in that. Well, I mean, you know, you certainly made a name for yourself. Yeah, uh, I know. In that in that particular incident, what the heck was? So you became Pine Needle Peters right. for for a little while. Uh, what what happened with that incident? Because I was calling that race, but I had no idea what was going on. I was coming down the back stretch, mm. and I wanted to adjust some of the brake bias in the race car because it was tight. I was going to put some rear brake in it while you have a knob in the cockpit that runs on a cable that goes to the brake pedal. Mm. Well, when I spun the thing back, it, the, the cable flipped up and got on top of the throttle and hung the throttle wide open oh. coming down the back stretch. So when I uh, took elevation, I should say, going off the three-turn, I shut the motor down and it was completely silent, completely back. I had no idea. And then it hit. Yeah, And I didn't know what I hit. Yeah. Where I was, why it didn't roll over. Then I remember um, Robbie Collette and uh, Scott Reed got over there with a wrecker. And are you all right? I'm like, yeah. And that was my last night. I was going to retire. It took you like, hit a tree, mind you. Hit a tree. Yeah. Took four or five laps for them to see me. Yeah. But I thought I was in a pretty safe zone. Really, I wasn't really too worried about getting hit. And uh, they were getting ready to tow me back in. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm driving it in. And the whole right side's all beat to crap, but I drove it back to the pit, got in, shut it off, and said, that's it. And I think Charlie Sanborn Sr., uh, you know, there was all kinds of stuff on social media, but look, mm. I dish it out. I can take it. I yes, thought it was pretty you, cool. Yeah. I still have the T-shirt hanging in the cellar doorway, the Pine Needle Peters. He's still, uh, Jamie Williams still hooks up on it. Mm. And on my birthday, happy birthday, Pine Needle Peters. I'm not embarrassed by that. I mean, if you're going to go out, go out big. Did you know before you started that race that it was going to be your last one? Yeah, yeah. I'd already said that I was done. This was your last ride. Was not. That's back when John was starting in the go-karts, and I I really didn't have much desire to drive anymore, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you were spending a lot of time... And this is, I think, where we really get into the helping part of your yeah. story. You, This is the giving back for the last, now, 12 years. Right. You've been giving back a lot. Um, talk about some of the accomplishments 
that that you had with uh, with your children in racing? Well, uh, with Chris, he uh, ran uh, the Thursday Thunder Series, and then he won three championships with that, and won a lot of races, and he worked hard at it, and learned about it all by himself, and he actually built quite a few cars for other people over there, and so that was pretty cool. And then, uh, actually, prior to the late model, Derek Nealon was running a limited at Beach Ridge and struggling, and I didn't really know Derek other than uh, his dad and got to helping them. They were struggling and went up there and started a relationship with him. And I remember it was the last night over there and he's finally running good and got destroyed on the back street. Got in a wreck. Wasn't his fault. Came in the pit devastated because the next weekend was the first weekend of the past 400 weekend. So I said, listen, don't you worry. We'll kick their butt next weekend. Brought the car here. Had to basically put a whole new body on it, but I funked it up, as they say. Mm. Put a dirt nose on it. Did all the setup stuff. Went over there and ran second in that first race and won like three grand. How much of a charge was it to watch someone else achieve in something that you prepared as well, opposed I was, to driving? I was, I was spotting for them, too. Mm-hmm. So it's usually the only reason we didn't win it is we had a restart like 10 to go. And that's back when Donnie Morris's mom had passed away. And he was leading, and we were second. And I told Derek, whatever you do, don't get into him. So I'm not saying we tanked it, yeah. but we... we no, been, I, I called that race. I remember yeah, it very well. exactly. Yeah. And they won three grand, gave me a 1000 bucks, which was used. I wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. Didn't ask for it. So there's one of the young guns. And now today, he still dabbles in racing a little bit. He's mm-hmm. still one of my kids. Yeah. You know, he still calls me dad, and I still call him son, and he's got a good career in front of himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you played a big part in that. Yeah, Dustin Reynolds was another one that I had sold that limited sportsman to his dad, and then obviously they knew nothing about. He came out of go karts, mm-hmm. and uh, got hired to work on it, and he tested it. And I remember we weren't going to run until the following season, but we went up at Oxford and tested. And I called Steve the uh, the end of the day and said. He's pretty good. I mean, he's running pretty close to where I am. I think he's ready and ran some races and started in the back, drove to the front, and the following year, he almost won the 100-lapper and just spun the tires on a restart with 10 to go and got beat, but finished second. And and he still raced after I left that team the following year and won a bunch of races. So, What about Gary Babineau? Gary Babineau, we had a Wildcat, and uh, obviously they have family, so we hooked up with him, Kevin, and myself, and... Uh, me and Kevin did all the setup work on it and went out there and got lucky enough to win a championship. Won a bunch of races. I don't think that's luck. I don't think it's luck. I think, uh, well, you know, I mean, you were fast that year. You guys, that team, that 09 was yeah. really, really fast. Yeah. Uh, so he, he was the 09 because of you. Exactly. Wow. That's your nephew, Gary Bass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. His family. And we, we, we did have a lot of success, but, I, you know, I know that racing is peaks and valleys. I mean, you can win today and you can wreck tomorrow. So it's the same thing when I raced go-karts with John. We never jumped up and down at the racetrack. We waited till we got in the truck and knuckled each other on the way home, and we still do that today. Mm-hmm. We have what we call our hog moment, and we go on the trailer. He'll signal me and signal him because you don't. You want to be humble with this game because it can unhumble you pretty damn quick. 
So John starts racing, does very well in go-karts, excels through legends, and then you jump right into the belly of the beast. You jump into the top division at Beechridge. At that time, there were a lot of cars in that division. What was that? I mean, whose idea was that, first of all? Well, uh, the Beetlebug thing was supposed to go more than one year. And the the thing with John is that we've never pushed him to do anything when he quit go karts to play football, baseball, whatever, absolutely, you go ahead and we'll support you 100%. I never had to live that racing dream th- through my kid. I never had to do that. So we've, we've always had that agreement with him. Uh, the legend car was supposed to be more than one year, and mm. we went out and basically set a record in, in our rookie year. Nobody's ever won seven tour races and we were on our way to winning both championships and we ended up blowing motors well those motors are 6500 bucks a piece and when you race for 95 bucks to win <laughs> yes. you do the math it's a hobby it's a hobby hobbies cost money he uh came in the living room one day and said dave oliver had his pro series car for sale and this is the amount that he wanted and had everything on a on a on a spreadsheet and i said well this is the deal how old is he 16, Jeez. 17. Yeah, 16, because he was mm. 15 when he won the championship. If you want it, you're going to have to go get it like I did. And How bad do you want it? That's exactly what I said. Now, this was in uh, November of 2013, and I remember vividly, I got up one morning, and I came downstairs. He's got us at the time. We had green, white, and black crew shirts. He had it on, and he said, can you take me for a ride? I'm like, where are we going? He goes, we're going to go around to some businesses, and I'm going to give them my bio that I... That I so we went to furniture, all, all these places, right? And Dave's still holding on to the car. And in fact, I think he even told John, listen, we'll we'll back some money off it and take... We really wanted... Dave really wanted John to have it. He he was one of John's coaches back in, in, in that time. And with karate? No, with no. driving. Oh, driving, okay. Yeah, as several other drivers were, mm-hmm. which is great. But anyway... Well, now we're at Christmas. It still ain't happening. And so I think Dave got a hold of me right before New Year's and said, what's your status for the car? You know, we've been holding it for quite a while. I said, it doesn't look good. You got to do what you got to do. If you got to buy it on it, go ahead. And at that time, we had just sold our legend stuff. We got the number we wanted, Mm. but we carried a lot of debt from the previous blowing motors and had to pay off some debt. So we basically broke even. And I said, well, you're gonna, I, I came out here and I remember telling John, I said, it looks like it's not going to happen. And he was very emotional about it. I said, look, they've waited as long as they can. I'm out in the garage with me and him and talking about it. And this couple pull in our driveway, walk in the garage and said this, we know the situation with this new car. Uh, they actually bought all the legend stuff. We know the financial drain that you're under. We're willing to let John borrow ten grand to buy this new car. And I was like, What? We'll let him borrow it was it was Todd and his wife Harrison that did it. And I'm I can say it now because yeah. I will I will do that. Uh we were we were Because like, they didn't want anybody to know. At that time no. 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 They had a successful construction business and they wanted again to help well how bad do we want it and I remember we went to a meeting at their house 
John signed a contract on when the payments would be made. 16 years old. 16 years old. Then we went to an anniversary party for my in-laws in Massachusetts. And my brother-in-law said at the time, hey, have you talked to Wes, who's a cousin, who's, who's married to one of Gail's cousins, about sponsoring a race car? He, he's the manager, a president of some company. What company? Do you know? I don't know. Do you know? I don't no. know. Do you know? Nobody know. knew. Right. And he was already gone. They've never been around race cars. I'm like, we're shooting a dead horse here. So we're at a funeral, and we get an email from this rental company that says they want us down there to to take a tour of the company. We want to talk about... And they are not in southern Maine. No. They are in Ward Hill, Mass., Europe, and Canada. They build high-end homes, forced hot water, heating systems, towel warmers, stair balusters, the whole nine yards. We get down there for this meeting. We tour the plant. Now we're in the conference room, and John's in there with the company president and two of the marketing guys from Europe. Okay? Right. He designs the whole bio, the contract, the payments. John does. John does at, again, 16. Gil and I are sitting in the back of the room, and I'll never forget it. He asked them one question. Do you think this partnership will go more than one year? And they said, well, John, why do you ask? Because it'll depend where I go to school. I'll either go in North Carolina or I'll go up around the New England area. And I thought, that's pretty ballsy, but here mm-hmm. we go, okay? Yeah. But he spills the whole contract. And the end of it, the guy looked at him and said, John, you're only 16 years old? And John says, yeah. He goes, we'll do this deal with you. We will do this partnership with you. And I, we're almost on a fall on the floor, right? Yeah, yeah. That started in 2014. Well, for those that don't know, John is in North Carolina now pursuing a career, but still racing. And you had a career moment as a family last year. Tell me about that day. Oxford 250 weekend. We ran a race the week before, and the car was okay, but not great. Uh, I wasn't happy with the setup, and this is back when I was having a medical issue, and I was on a bunch of pain. Uh, so I remember... Getting a hold of Steve Benikoff, it's on a Thursday night. Said, "Can you please come down here? I gotta. I want to go over the setup. I don't like what's in there, but I can't do anything. I can't move." So Steve came down. It's him and Gail, and John's out there and me, and we completely go over the setup. Are right, you happy with what you got there, John? Yes. We roll in there Friday morning, and we go out and practice, inside, outside, and he is absolutely flying. We made a little change to the car. We put a spring rubber in the left front spring. We put a spring rubber in the right rear spring to free the car up a little bit and a little bit on the right rear shock. Never touched that car the rest of the weekend and set fast time on Friday and Sunday. Now, mind you, we haven't raced in a year. The crew hadn't been together for a year. We had some guys come up from North Carolina that wanted to help. Brad Thurlow. And uh, a couple of other people. But the thing is, with my team, we have the same person do the same job every time. Mm-hmm. Be it guys or girls, no one does something different. We go out and we pull a bad draw again in the heat race, start last, but missed getting in by one spot. But we knew we needed that spot. And we had a hell of a battle there with Ben Rowe to get that pole position for the Concy. Win the Concy by a straight away over Baba Pollard. Mm-hmm. and Travis Benjamin, 
Do you know how huge that is? Dude, we smoked them. That's why I brought it up. I've watched that video 500,000 times, okay? But to make it in the race and win the concert like we did was a huge moment for our team. You had never made the 250? Negative. How many times did you try? um, I think two with John... I did it with Derek a couple of times. I tried it once. And mm-hmm. it just so a number of times you didn't make the 250. No. You do, um, you know, big moment for the team. You know, just watching your face describe that race with uh, Ben Rowe and Travis Benjamin, two of the best of this generation. They're in that group. Um, your face lights up more about John than it has throughout this entire interview talking about your own accomplishments. Absolutely. Anything I did. Because Speed 51 was... John Peters sets fast time in practice three. John Peters and Jeff Taylor are the fast two. John Peters beats Bubba Pollard. Mm. And, and again, yeah, I'm lit up now, dude, because yes. I, got, I got the shivers talking about it. Yeah. Uh, we started 22nd in the race. We had a bad set of tires the first set, so we pitted him on lap 90 and neglected to fuel him up. He started 33rd and drove his way to third. He was flat out flying. And then we had a caution on lap 120, and he runs out of gas 100 feet from our pit stall, and that put us a couple laps down. Still finished 18th, but again, what we did out of the 55 guys that showed up on a team that only raced once, that's unheard of. What what does his success mean to you? And as as a human being, watching him grow... As a, as a young man and as a race car driver? Watching him grow as, as a person and a driver. And I remember the first time I, I wanted to stop weekly racing. I've had enough of this. And I gave him an ultimatum that if you want to do this, you'll have to find another crew chief. You're more than welcome to hit your car, do what you want. Mm-hmm. I want a tour race. And he said, I can't run with them guys. And I said, you will learn how to run with those guys. <laughs> and I think he has learned quite well. He gets a lot of respect from the other drivers out there. Uh, now he, I'm not saying he's overly aggressive, but when he has to do something, he does it. And and that's what you have to do. It's a tough, competitive circuit. But, and, and same thing, I'm running with Grand State. We ran with them. We were very successful with them. Uh, fast, won the pole. And, and I had told him the year before when we did not make it in, he was devastated. And I, I didn't know where he was. He was in the back of my truck sitting there just kind of process it all. I said, listen, the quality time that I spend with you now is more important than the Oxford 250. This is just another race to me now. Now, because when you're not here all the time, but when it happened, I was like, I didn't, I didn't even get too ecstatic on the radio. I didn't know what to say. Again, we had a hug moment in the trailer and then Perry showed up to do his interview. So it was back to work. We had to hustle to get ready for the race, and, and mm. but the next day when I'm sitting there watching that video that that constantly win and it, it sunk in, I said, we, "We we've done something that not many teams can do. They can say they did, mm-hmm. you know." I think current race fans know enough about John and and they know the the journey that you two are on together. I took a little little time in research for this to uh, reach out to John, who's yeah. in North Carolina. Right. Uh, had him write up a couple of quick things. What he would like to say to you if he were in this room, and I'll read it to you. In thinking of a word to describe what you've meant to me and taught me in life, there's only one. Everything. 
Having a father and son work so closely together on a shared passion for 20 years sounds like a dream. It is a dream, but it's more than that. Our partnership has given me a lifelong passion, taught me how to work hard, work together, get better, and endure. Those experiences that go well beyond racing. I know how lucky I am to have you by my side. One day I will strive the same to do for my kids. I'll tell them all about who taught me that way. Thank you, Dad, for all that you have done and continue to do. It's meant everything. Let's keep going. Signed, John. Yeah. Yeah. There's no one like him. Thank you, John. The days that you spend presently, I know we've touched on an illness, but I don't think we've informed, you know, we have our friends in the racing community, but this podcast has taken off like, um, like even I didn't imagine it would. So there are people who are hearing your story for the first time. Right. Um, talk about some of the battles you're going through right now personally. Well, I'm uh, dealing with cancer. Uh, in my, uh, they, they actually found it when I had the issue at the 250 weekend. They assumed I had a kidney stone and a, uh, something else going on. I mean, it was extreme pain, but I, I, and again, if not from the crew I had, I I would not have made it through that weekend. I spent most of my time sitting in a lawn chair uh, directing the crew, but they picked up the ball, and I they did a fantastic job. Mm. Um, went to the doctors that Monday, because it was going on for a long time, and uh, did a CAT scan, and uh, they came back, and my, my doctor said, well, you don't have a kidney stone. You got a kidney infection and a prostate infection, and but we found no cancer. But I do have some bad news for you. We found what looks like lung cancer in your lower left lung and a little bit on your liver, and I was like, what? And, you know, then your mind starts wandering, and, mm. you know, well, what's what's the next step? Well, I think you need to be on treatment right away. And I'm, I'm like, we're devastated, you know what I mean? I don't know if my time's up or what's going on. And so, uh, you know, obviously you needed to tell the kids at some point, but it needed more data or input to find out. And, and then once we met with the, you know, cancer surgeon, uh, he explained to me that he's seen this 97% of the time and I'm not going to die, but it's, 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 you know, the treatments they have out now with amino, which is an IV treatment or pills or whatever, but still, uh, I'll never forget the night we told Heather and John, uh, wasn't good. And I didn't really want to do it, but we had to, because you didn't know what was going on leading no. up to that weekend. No. If you had any advice for someone who's starting to feel pain, um, what are some of the signs that you should go get something checked out sooner than later? Well, I mean, if, especially with, you know, people our age, or my age, I'm up in the late 60s now, any any kind of abdominal pain uh, is, is something to get looked at. I mean, if not... From my doctor ordering this CAT scan for this, uh, it was about this chest. I fractured my sternum when I fell on a vacuum cleaner in the middle of the night. This would have never been found, really. And so I'm thinking, well, who knows down the road? So, I mean, you know, uh, in any kind of, if you're not feeling right, mm-hmm. especially nowadays with things that are going on, I mean, this, you see people with cancer of all, all genres, it's not. 
just because I smoke. I have friends that don't smoke that have lung cancer and stuff like that. But when they, you know, assured me that it's treatable and I'm not that much of a, a unrealist to, to think that it's it could go the other way. Mm-hmm. But I meet with my team now and I call them my team. They are excellent over there in Scarborough at the Cancer Center and uh, they make you, uh, you, you don't go in there feeling bad. They do everything they can to make you pump you up. And so it's all about keeping a positive attitude. And I've had a ton of support from my friends, social media, be it whatever, they're always checking up on me. So when you have that support system, yes, there have been bad days. And I'm fortunate that my wife has been my rock through this whole thing. If it had not been for her, I don't know where it'd be because there were some days that I thought, this is it. Mm-hmm. I don't know where this is headed. So you go through all these elements of unknowns, and I'm thinking about the kids and the grandkids and the racing, obviously. That doesn't leave your mind, does it? No, it doesn't. Because you still want it. Yeah, because now we're starting to, I think we're starting to hit our stride, okay, with the performance of the car, performance of the driver, and I'm not ready to quit. And and he, he now, he's in it. He gets it. He told me that, he really loves to do this. And I, we've never had that conversation, you know, that his girlfriend supports it 100%. It's tough flying back and forth, but it's the time that we get together, like I told you, mm-hmm. and how bad do you want this. But so now where I'm at, I'm being, uh, going through the treatment. And other than I gave myself a hernia, and I won't tell you why, uh, I could probably go out yes. and kick some ass. Kick some ass. There you go. I mean, I've been uh, working with another race team, and that's been my my go-to to keep my mind off this stuff. And I thank them for that opportunity. And uh, Is there anything else you want to do in racing? No, and the good thing is my driver doesn't. He's never been the type to want to race beyond his extremes, I guess because he has to pay the bill. I mean, his passion is, is, is to do what we're doing, and he's totally satisfied with that, and I am too. I, I'm not naive enough. I mean, we visited Kyle Bush's shop, and his father-in-law told us that we showed up at 3.5. We could do a couple of truck races. So mm-hmm. that's the sad part about even these Bush East and North. And you know, I'm happy that our buddy Derek Griffith has got it, but it's costing some money to do this. You know, he absolutely deserves it. Yeah, but on talent, man. you know. Yeah. Well, he has the talent. Yes, he does. Fortunately, he has the backing to be able to balance that out. He's he's going to showcase it, you know? Yep. Yeah, this is before the, because this will air after Speed Weeks. It'll air after ARCA, and we're, I know everybody in the Northeast is keeping a close eye on Yeah, we chat quite a bit on Facebook, and he actually wears a John Peters t-shirt, so he does. (laughs) He absolutely wears it. (laughs) And that's cool, when he's racing, he wears it. So, him and John get along good, we get along good, and he's he's just a well-rounded kid, and reminds me of my own kid. I commend you, or I compliment you on this podcast. Uh, how did you come up with the open trailer, by the way? No one cares about what's in a box. Right. You know, you can just drive by it on the highway, and it looks like every other trailer. You're right. But every open trailer, you can see the race car. You can see how dented it is. You can see the character of it. And there's usually some things in the pickup behind it or, you know, in front of the car itself. And uh, there's more of a story in an open trailer than there is a box. You're absolutely right. Because when I hauled that 
super sportsman car down Main Street in Westbrook. I used to look in the store windows and go, oh, yeah, baby. And then you don't know how many people would wave, give you the thumbs up. Yeah. Wow. The wow factor. You know what yeah. I mean? So no, one, right. no one ever thumbs up a box. No. I mean, the only reason we got the box now is because yeah. of all the gear we have to carry. Yeah. No, I mean, it's practical. And, and it's very practical. Or, like, we store a lot of stuff in there in the wintertime. Oh, we leave the pick card in there summertime. But I remember many parades I did. Many, many, many parades where that car right there in particular got a lot of wows. Which one, the blue one? No, that black super sportsman, yeah, that well, one there. a beautiful car. And I didn't, I didn't mean to throw you a curveball. I just was no. curious to know. No, I had to think about why I know, I named it that way. Right. Well, that's my, that's my announcing voice yes. in me there. Yes, it is. All right. Thank you to the Peters family for opening up your hearts and your brains with all of the information in the past couple of episodes. It was a pleasure. Next time out, does this man even need an introduction? Have you ever worked on a crate engine? Yes. You don't like them? You hate the crate? Yeah, because of what it's done for racing. It has ruined racing. It's taken all of the motivation behind people like myself that have got an interest Taking it away. You don't have that option anymore. Period. Mm-hmm. Nope. Unless you sneak. <laughs> Unless you cheat. The one and only Hall of Famer, Goodwin Hannaford. He's next week on the Open Trailer Podcast. Remember to rate and review and catch you next time.